0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory Glory to to you, you, Lord Christ. Christ. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give good things to those who ask him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to you, Lord Christ.
1: Morning, everyone. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. We pray that we would hide it deeply within our hearts, that we might know you and love you and follow you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The film Her came out in 2014. Maybe some of you all have seen it. If it's not, it's about a lonely man played by Joaquin Phillips, who's struggling to deal with the fallout of his divorce. And he eventually falls in love with a computer operating system Uh, that has this alluring voice played by Scarlett Johansson. And one of the reviews at the time began by saying the premise of the film Her seems rather unlikely. And then the review ends by saying that the writer's goal was actually not for the viewers like us to interpret the film literally as though a man could actually fall in love with a computer program, but figuratively, that the goal was to create a love story that would portray our increasing dependence upon social media and it as a substitution for actual human interaction. So in other words, her social commentary, that's set within this frame of far-fetched science fiction. That was 10 years ago. How far we have come in the last decade. A couple of weeks ago, an article was published on The Hill entitled, AI Gen- Girlfriends Are Ruining an Entire Generation of Young Men. And that title may be a little bit exaggerated, but the content is not, because there is a silent epidemic of loneliness that's happening now in the United States. Surgeon General of the United States published a report on it back in May, and one of the takeaways is that young men are especially affected by loneliness. Only a quarter of young men now report having six close friends. Uh, 25 years ago, when I was a young adult man, it was well over 50%. And now 20% say they have no friends at all. And young adult men's social interaction has dropped by 20 hours per month since the pandemic. In other words, the young adult American male is not doing well, particularly socially, And according to this article, what they're turning to is virtual AI-generated girlfriends that talk to you and attend to you and allow you to live out your fantasies through them and who learn exactly what you want and what you like, what you don't want and what you don't like. And they can even be based upon actual people. A celebrity, for example, or maybe even a real ex-girlfriend who you kind of want back, but you don't want back with all of the issues that you had between the two of you before, Now, no one get any weird ideas here, but the power is that it feels real, but it's not real, but it feels real because the AI minds your responses and learns more and more to give you exactly what you want and only what you want whenever you ask. So what does always getting only what we ask for do to us? And is that what Jesus speaks about and promises in our gospel reading? What exactly are we saying? What are we really saying when we pray, give us this day our daily bread? So two points this morning to continue on in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. One, the meaning of daily, of that word. And then number two, the analogy we need. First of all, the meaning of this word daily. It's a hard word to translate and to interpret. One commentator called it one of the most troublesome words to interpret in all of the New Testament. So one option is what we have here in our text, which is daily, meaning every day or for the coming day, which of course makes sense. But if you notice, it's a little bit redundant because we already have the word today in the line. Give us today or this day our daily bread. Why not just say, give us today today our bread you don't need the word or the adjective daily but maybe that repetition is for emphasis and that's Jesus's point maybe what he's trying to impress upon his followers is to let go of the past their past that they inordinately live in and try to, to hold on to. And it doesn't allow them to, to move forward, that it defines them and it continues to determine their lives. Or maybe he's saying, don't obsessively fixate upon the future and all of that which is before you because you can't have all knowledge or control over what's coming in the future. God can, and so trust him entrust to him, your past and your future, and do so by seeking him in the present because he makes himself present to you today. So maybe that's his point. It certainly is a point for Jesus later in Matthew chapter six. In fact, he says very, very directly, do not be anxious about tomorrow, about your future life. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is today for trouble of its own. And so he's saying to each of us, attend to the, the needs today and to seek the Lord today. Don't live in your past. Don't obsess about your future. Seek him today. And some of us especially need to hear that. All of us at some point need to hear that. But some of us especially need to hear that today because we have responsibilities. You have responsibilities and needs. Others in your life do. And you need to attend to them and you need to focus upon them. And you're not you're not. But by God's grace and strength and wisdom, you can, you need to, and you can. I read a story a couple of weeks ago about an island overrun by rats, which is like one of my worst nightmares. But this small island of Redonda, it's in between Antigua and Barbuda and the Caribbean. And when colonists arrived there centuries ago, it was a lush island, diverse wildlife. Especially seabirds made their home there, and with seabirds comes seabird excrement, known as guano, which who knew, uh, but it was a key ingredient in the 18th and 19th century in fertilizer and gunpowder. It was known as white gold, which is kind of a grandiose description. I mean, imagine, what do you do for a living? Oh, I harvest white gold. It's like, no, you collect bird poop. But anyways, it it made people really rich. And when they came there to Redonda, they also brought with them all these invasive species, including large black rats and then goats, which eventually, when the white gold market dried up, they left behind. And so the goats became feral and ate everything on the island, and the invasive large black rats killed all the other wildlife until there was nothing left. There was just this empty moonscape of dust and rock until. A team of environmentalists showed up and started relocating the goats and killing the rats. And notice what they didn't do. They didn't obsess or dwell upon what was lost in the past. They also didn't worry about the future and how much life could be restored or how long it would take or if it was even possible. All they did day after day was just kill the rats and they waited. And now life has returned to the island. It's become lush again and the seabirds are back and the beauty of the island has returned because They sought to be faithful in the troubles of today. And some of your lives are like that. All of our lives at times will be like this, but some of your lives are like that right now, overrun by something. Your own life is overrun by something, your heart is, by some sin, some vice, some anxiety, something, or your relationships are overrun, or one particular relationship is overrun, or some situation and you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed by the guilt and regret of your past or you're fearful for your future. And you can't imagine anything in the present actually eventually changing. And Jesus says here, it can. It can through him and with him by believing in his gospel and following after him and praying to him, praying through him to God the Father for the needs of today in order for you to be faithful today with real life, actual, tangible, daily needs. So that's one possibility. Another is to spiritualize the word and to make it primarily referring to the grace that our souls need, which the Greek word allows So something translated like, give us today our supernatural bread. And lots and lots of church fathers really love this interpretation because they said, well, Jesus is the living bread which of course you really can't argue with that what we're supposed to pray here is for God to give us more of Jesus. And I taught our all about all saints class. It's our membership class a few weeks ago. And I always ask not, lots of non rhetorical questions in that class. And I always tell them if I ask something biblical or theological that you don't know, all you have to do is to say what? Jesus. And you can't be wrong. Same thing here. So of course, we're asking for Jesus and we're asking for more of Jesus. Of course, that's true. Later on in Matthew 7, Jesus says, if a son asks for a fish, will his father give him a stone? And many of you probably know that an ancient symbol of not only Christianity, but Jesus is a fish. And this is one of the passages that that is based upon because an ancient title of Jesus is Iesu Christos Theos Huios Soter. Or in English, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And you take the first letter of each of those Greek words, it spells the Greek word for fish. And so ancient interpreters saw this verse and they made the point that if you ask God the Father for Jesus, he's a good father. He won't give you a stone, he will give you Jesus. And they emphasize that especially in regards to the Eucharist. And they taught because it says here in the Lord's Prayer, ask for this day, your daily bread, ask for Jesus in the midst and the context of worship and the Father will never fail you to give you Jesus, if you ask and seek him by faith. And some of you are hurting and some of you are weary spiritually. You're struggling, like I said, you're overrun, overwhelmed by something, anger, bitterness, lust, whatever. And you especially need to come here, be here, participate, especially at communion. So if that's you, you're in the right place. But in my experience, many people do the exact opposite. What so many think and even have said to me is my life's a mess. I can't go to church. I don't really want to go to church right now. I don't want to sing. I'm ashamed. I'm sad. I don't don't want to sing. I don't want to see people. I don't want to talk to people. I really need to deal with this mess that I've made first. Or worse, they say, I'm not fit or I'm not worthy to come to worship as if any of us actually ever are. And that is far too common. I hear it. I've heard it. I actually see it at times. I see people who regularly come forward for communion. For some reason, they don't. Now, there are some good reasons for not coming forward for communion. The main one is that you've done something in a relationship and created a conflict there, and you haven't done everything necessary to reconcile that relationship. You haven't gone to them and confessed and apologized and asked for forgiveness. You haven't done everything necessary or possible to restore your communion with that person. And Jesus actually says in Matthew five, just one chapter before, go and do that first and then come to the Eucharist. But most of the time people refrain from communion for the reasons that they actually need to come to communion and take in order to address and to sincerely ask in faith for the father to give them Jesus in and through it. So again, if that is you, you're in the right place. But that's not the best translation or the best meaning of the word daily here, I don't think. There's a better one. It's one that encompasses everything I've said. The actual Greek word, I'm going to nerd out on you just for a second. The actual Greek word is epousia. The root word is this word usia that means being or or existence. Being or existence. So think about that word daily like this Give us today the bread of our existence. Give us today what we need for our existence to truly live. Or give us the bread we need today to go on living. Whatever that may be. If it's physical bread for our bodies, or if it's social bread for our relationships, or if it's spiritual bread for our own souls or our own relationship with God. Whatever it is, give us that that we can go on living today. So, what is that for you? What do you need today in order to go on living? What do the people of Israel or Palestine need today to go on living? What does the newly divorced person who isn't sure how they're going to pay their bills or how they're going to deal with the crushing loneliness of their life now, what do they need? Or what does the recent immigrant who's working 12 or 15 hours cleaning houses and then going home to try to be a mother, what does she need? Or what's the spouse need whose husband or wife is in the midst of chemo or the middle school kid who sits alone at lunch or the person who's struggling with same-sex attraction and's here in worship today, or the, the college student who's tried and tested everything that UT and Austin have to offer and are increasingly bored and apathetic towards life and the shallowness of their relationships. What do they need to go on living? What do you need? And are you praying for it? What we all need at least is an analogy So point two, the analogy we need. It's one that we've considered several weeks ago when I preached on our Father who art in heaven. Here in Matthew 7, you may notice that Jesus returns to this analogy of the father-child relationship in order to teach us about prayer. The Lord's prayer here in this line that we're considering, give us this day, our daily bread, it's teaching us to pray. Matthew 7 teaches us how to pray in order that we might go on living. And it's this analogy here that Jesus uses is that God is like all good and wise parents, who give their children good things when they ask, and that, that analogy should teach us to pray confidently. Craig touched on this a little bit last week, because Matthew chapter seven, verse seven through 11, it's really one long promise on prayer that God will give truly good things if we ask. Verse seven says, "Ask, and it will be given to you." Full stop. Ask and it will be given to you. It's a promise. The Bible is filled with promises like this. Psalm 84 11, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor or grace and honor. No good thing does he withhold from his children. And James one says something different, but similar. He says, every good gift and perfect gift comes from the father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow. So Psalm 84, God loves to give good gifts. He withholds nothing good. James one, anything good you have has come from God. And Matthew seven, Jesus says, and if you ask, you will receive. So take those together collectively, we could legitimately say that there's no truly, ultimately good thing that we've ever needed, that we've ever asked for, that God has refused to give us. Now, do you believe that that is true? Do you believe that that's God's posture toward you? That that he leans in expectantly, waiting excitedly waiting to generously and abundantly give every good gift that he has for you? Do you believe that that's what he's like? Because that's what Isaiah 65 tells us. It's talking here about the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus will come and and, and end human history with all of the unimaginable goodness and justice and peace that God will give. And right there in the middle, it says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And that's about so much more than God's omniscience or his, his, his foreknowledge or his power or his sovereignty. It's about his heart. It's about his posture toward you. It's about his grace and his generosity that he longs to give. As if even before we begin to speak, even beginning to think about asking him, he's already giving. Or even before the words get out of our mouth, he's already saying yes. And so do you believe like God is like that? Because I really don't think that we do. Because if we did, Jesus wouldn't do what he has to do here. He has to prove to us that God is like that by bringing up what we're like as parents. In Matthew 7, 9, he says, which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? In other words, which parent doesn't long to give good gifts to their child? And the answer, of course, is none. There's not a parent, a good and wise parent, that doesn't long to, to give something good to their child because our hearts are inextricably bound up with our children and their well-being. I've mentioned the saying to you before that you're only as happy as your saddest child, and it's true. It is true. We can't not be happy unless our kids are happy. We can't not long for their good, and we can't not want to give them good things. Now, why? Now, of course, caveat here, under the influence of sin and our own issues, our own Emotional, spiritual, relational, moral brokenness. We know what happens. We know we're continually tempted to give beyond what is good to our kids. And we're tempted to live our lives and to meet our needs in and through our children. And we all know it does damage to ourselves and to our kids. But an even more foundational question is, why is it even possible? Why does, do our hearts automatically bind to the hearts of our children? Where does it come from? Even if we corrupt it and twist it, why does that happen? And it does so because we're made in the image of a heavenly father, of God, who is a heavenly father, that that's what he's like, though perfectly. He made us in his image as parents like this so that we would know more fully and completely what he's like and trust him and seek him and ask and knock and confidently expect that he longs to give us good things. Now, if that's true, and it is, if that's true, then why don't we get everything we ask for? These flowers here are uh, in memory of Andrew Halton today. is the anniversary of his death. Some of you, many of you know or knew Andrew. He died about six, I think six years ago now from uh, a serious form of cancer. And we prayed for Andrew's healing. So, so why didn't we get that given to us? And there's so much that I would need to say to answer that fully, but I at least need to say this. I can't say everything, I need, at least need to say this. And that is, we need to flip the analogy. Because Jesus says, God, our heavenly father, can and will give anything good. And he never gives a stone or a snake when we ever ask for bread or fish. But what does God do when we ask for a stone or a snake? What does he do when we seek that? What does any good, wise father or mother do when a child demands a stone or a snake? Well, of course they don't give it and neither does God. God can't give a stone or a snake, whatever damaging thing we might ask for or implicitly or very explicitly and intentionally seek. Erasmo Levamerikakis, great name. In his commentary, he says this. In heaven where the father dwells, there is no store of evil. God is so utterly poor in evil things. He has none to give, no matter how insistently we demand them of him. And we do. There are all sorts of things that we demand of him. And we ourselves respond like this to our children when they do, we know this. Tim Keller profoundly years and years ago said this, I've never forgotten. He says that good parents, good and wise parents have to differentiate between a child's need and their actual need, And their interpretation of the need, which is what their request is. Their request is their interpretation of the actual need. And that's what we have here in our New Testament reading from 2 Corinthians. Three different times, Paul comes to God and he says, Remove this thorn in my flesh from me. Three different times. And and we don't know what that was. Maybe it was a physical illness that he was suffering, maybe it was a person. He wanted removed from his life or from his orbit, or maybe it was some situation that he wanted God to change. We don't know what it is. He doesn't exactly say, and that's good for us because we can apply whatever it is that we're facing that's debilitating, frustrating, or harmful to us. We can apply it to our own lives. But Paul asks God to remove it from him so he might be more effective in ministry in answering God's call upon his life to be an apostle. And Paul proves here that we conflate our actual need, with our interpretation of the need and make it the same, and they're not. Paul's need was effectiveness in ministry. His interpretation was that God needed to remove the thorn. And so he prays, remove this from me, or I won't be effective in ministry. And God comes back to him and says, no, 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 no. Paul, you won't be effective in ministry without it. Because really the deepest need was not effectiveness in ministry, it was God's power. And Paul prayed for God's power. He prayed that God's power would remove the thorn and God answered his prayer. He did, but he answered Paul's prayer for his power by keeping the thorn in place. And I don't think it's too bold to say that God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he does when you ask because he always gives. And he only gives bread and fish. He never gives a stone or a snake. And that should make us confident in our petitions and in our prayers to him. And so are you praying? And are you praying for anything big? Should give you confidence in praying big prayers. Are you praying big prayers? Like $30 million big. Seriously, can the Lord provide a $30 million sanctuary through us? build a sanctuary in which we would worship him now and for generations to come. It's not too big for him. So of course we would say, yes, he can. But some of you, and I know this because I've heard this, I've I've answered this question. You see that really big number of $30 million and you think, I can only give so very little. I can only give so very little and and my little gift won't help get us there. So I'm just not going to bother. I'm not going to give. Well, if all of us or a lot of us think that, then We certainly aren't going to get there. It's gonna become self-fulfilling prophecy and the Lord won't give it to us, but he, he won't give it to us, not because he can't perfect his power in and through weakness and smallness, but because we never really asked him to. We never really asked him to use what little we have in order to do something significant and believing that his power is perfected in weakness. There is no gift that's too little. There's no life that is too little. There's no thing that you are, you have to offer that is too little for God to use because God's power is perfected in weakness and in smallness in order that we and the world around us might see what it is that the Lord does and knows that he's the one doing it and not us. And that's true in everything. But in this campaign, let's give what we have to give regardless of how big or small it may be. And let's just see if the sanctuary is the bread that we need as a church, pray big prayers. Jesus prayed big prayers. Let this cup pass from me. He prayed the night before he was betrayed, before he went to the, to the cross. The cup, meaning the cup of God's judgment against our sin on the cross. And God the Father answered that prayer. He answered it according to Jesus' need and his ultimate desire which was to not lose the fellowship, the eternal fellowship he had with God, the father. And he answered that, but he answered it in a way that Jesus's other prayers, his later prayers could be answered as well, including the prayer that he prayed on the cross, which was father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And by the way, that's a far bigger prayer, a far bigger prayer than anything that any other person or any other group of people have ever prayed and could ever pray. The prayer for our forgiveness and reconciliation with God by Jesus on the cross is the biggest prayer that's ever been prayed. And God answered that. Because God loves to give generously and graciously to you, to me, and so pray Pray that God would give good things, the best things. Expect him to to do so in ways that you can't imagine, but it will be the way that most fully changes us and forms us into a people who know him and love him and follow him and to delight in him as well, just as he delights in us. And who wants to give? Changes us into people who want to give, even as he has already given to us. So ask, seek, knock for the bread that you truly need to live will be given to you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us this day our daily bread, that you would give us that which we need to continue to go on living even as we follow you. And so, Father, this morning continue to do that continue to give us of yourself so that we might continue to be of blessing to others in this world. Do so for the honor and glory of your name, for our good For the good of others, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen.